Okay. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. I'm joined today uh, by a very special guest, Catherine Blackmore, who is the global vice president. Uh, and tell me if I get this wrong, okay, Catherine? Global no vice president for the North American customer success team at Oracle. Is that correct? Yes, it is correct. And let me explain a little bit about that because they're global in North America. How does that actually uh, coalesce? Um, So I'll I'll talk about that in a moment. But Jay, I'm happy to be here. Great, great to uh, be a part of the podcast here and happy to share what we've been up to. You you have been a sort of a foundational piece of the customer success community for a very long time. And so I remember when I had my first job as a VP of customer success back in probably 2013, 20, yeah, 2013, 2014 timeframe. I remember seeing articles and content from Catherine Blackmore and we'll get into some of that history too, because it's really cool. It was the history before everything that most people probably know today. So excited to talk about that, but let me, let me hit you with an icebreaker question first and uh, we'll start there. So question for you, Catherine, what, what jeopardy category would you absolutely just dominate? Well, I would say dominate in the general sense, because I'm sure there are probably bigger buffs out there than myself. But Jay, that would have to be, I will choose 80s pop music. Oh, very, very strong. answer. (laughs) (laughs) What's your favorite? What's your favorite one hit wonder from the 80s? Oh, my gosh. Um, One hit wonders. Um, I don't know if I, that's probably going to be the hardest question that you ask. Yeah, because you don't know who they are, right? Yeah, exactly. I could probably, you know, think about the song or you kind of think that they had a full album. Surely I bought that. Surely that there was more um, than just that one song. Um, But, um, but no, I mean, I just obviously, you know, any, any, it's kind of sad, but when I go to the grocery store and they're playing eighties music on Muzak, um, perhaps that dates me a little bit, you know? <laughs> no, not, not too much. You know, it's funny is my, my kids are, uh, my kids are 11, 14 and 17, roughly. They're close to those ages and they love eighties music. They love nineties music. My, one of my daughters loves sixties and seventies music. So some of that stuff is just timeless. So well, you like to think so. Absolutely. Let's just hit it on repeat, you know, have an eighties night, you know, Friday night dance party. Right. Absolutely. It was, a, it's a lot easier now that we have Spotify to know the whole album too. Even if you, even if you didn't. That's right. I, I think that maybe even one hit wonders, is that like a, a thing of the past because of that? Like, do you, you know, cause I think we all yeah. like people like appreciate more of the music if they like a certain artists now, but we digress, Jay, we digress. Yeah. 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 Well, I will do that. So you'll have to keep me on track. No problem. All right. Well, it's really a pleasure to have you. So to give everyone just a little bit of a sense of your background, because you, you've been some really interesting places. Um, and you mentioned on our pre-call here, even starting with your experience in consumer packaged goods, your, your resume reads like a, who's who of, of brands. So maybe give a little bit of background so people know who we're talking to here and then we'll jump in. Sure. I, I, Jay, I've always thought of myself um, or maybe have been told that I'm a bit of a pioneer in the space. And it's, it's funny because when you think about when you're graduating from college and you've you know, got that first opportunity, um, you're going down a career path, which in my case was in consumer packaged goods. I had no idea that I would find my way into technology, even though I was growing up in the backyard of companies like Microsoft 
um, Amazon at that time, you know, graduating from University of Washington and friends that went down that path. It was not my career path originally. And so, you know, lo and behold, after that part of my career, you know, knowing that there is a space and a, and a place to be able to take the same fundamental approach to actually, in that case, account management or channel management and really be thinking about um, the need within technology around data insights, being proactive, you know, helping, you know, a customer or a channel in the case of CPG be successful, all of those same principles applied. And to know that, gosh, you know, lightning in a bottle timing wise to be at the birth of what became and is a a huge profession of customer success. And so certainly exciting for me. Um, But then as I've talked to many, you know, I've said this in a number of different um, uh, articles and podcasts I've been on, um, it was really challenging early days, very challenging because it wasn't like there was a lot of articles. There weren't, you know, podcasts like this that you could listen to. Um, it, we're on our own. And so I think the fact that I did have an experience of a very mature industry trying to test and see what would fit in terms of technology, you know, that was central to the early success, the early days. Um, but I've always, Jay, had kind of a, a pay it forward mindset, meaning that I did not want other people to have to struggle like I did to figure out how we were going to build a success organization, even though there were very few companies at times, Salesforce being the largest, of course. But again, we weren't publishing out what we were doing, but how can I make sure that as I pay it forward, others are actually learning from what I've experimented with so that we can continue to elevate and advance profession. And so hence a lot of the blog articles that you mentioned um, are really out of trying to help us really form what we're doing and, and evolve and, and you know continue to iterate on what we're building. So, so what have you seen as the, maybe one of the biggest changes since the first time you had a title or a role, maybe even without the title of customer success? Yeah, it definitely when, you know, being first hired and, and I would say it's probably no different for any early stage company because you just haven't really formed exactly what your point of view is in the marketplace. You know, achieving product market fit is oftentimes that first challenge. And when I in my first role in the early days, um, knowing how reactive we were how reactive we were, you know, that really, you know, just kind of catching things either, you know, from a sales point of view, um, we weren't really sure the customer that we sold to, we almost had to finish the sales job, if you will, of, you know, trying to figure out where the fit would be so that we didn't lose the customer or from a support perspective, um, you know, supports overwhelmed oftentimes, you know, a lot of the issues and concerns would bleed over into the role. And instead of, you know, managing a queue, you could argue we were in some ways an overlay and making sure that issues were being resolved, especially if customers were talking to us and we couldn't really advance conversations. So I'm sure as I say these things, many folks listening would say, I'm dealing with this right now, you know, but I think the excitement is, is that what I've seen is there's been more advancement out of some of those early swim lanes so that you can see what the profession can become. And I will argue you still in an early stage company, in some ways you still have to go through some of those pieces. I think it's hard, you know, having done this role and led teams for many, many years now 
like it's hard to kind of skip that step. And so what I realized is you learn so much about your customers, you know, what's the role of sales? What's the role of support? How do you even evolve into paid services? You kind of have to go through all that growing pain to really become more intentional about your success model. Um, and so now what's exciting, of course, is that when you can occupy a swim lane in success where you're more proactive, you know, that's certainly been an advancement from the early days. That's now, I think the what more is the remit. I think that knowledge and knowing that how you prevent issues from happening is by being proactive. And of course, um, I have to state that just the evolution of customer success, having our own tech stack is huge. You know, I remember, you know, managing things on spreadsheets or things that would go stale the second you pull data together or trying to cobble together tools, you know, from a success hacker kind of way. Um, you know, those were early stage, but now to actually have technology that is purpose built for us and have data a data model so that it allows us to really optimize run insights. Um, uh, you know, that's been incredible to see that take shape. And, and I'd say that'd be a, a key change that's been very positive. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, you know, it should be said that you were also involved with a very early vendor in the space, which many people may not even recognize the name of now, because it's been a few years, but you're with Blue Nose back in, uh, back in the, its startup days. Yes, I was. It was. I, I would say now this might be something um, uh, odd to say, but as a 16-person company, I'd say that was probably the job that actually prepared me more for my opportunity to Oracle than maybe any other. Um, and, and for many reasons. I mean, for in some cases, you know, being in a, in a very, very early stage company, building out technology that was purpose-built for customer success, you know, competing in the skate in the landscape of very early companies and companies that, you know, now are very dominant, like Gainsight and Totango. Um, it really educated me as to the need. And, and I got to learn, you know, for folks like yourself, Jay, all the different models and all the maturations of what customer success look like. Um, it really helped me have a broader point of view versus even the few companies I'd worked for. So whether it was a small startup or very large company, some of the challenges were similar. Um, some were very different because it was all built around the technology. And I guess my uh, coming out of that, what I realized is it's really all about the product customer. And then how the, how's the company really segmented roles to really you know, form the purpose of customer success and have it be a distinct swim lane. Um, but then, you know, certainly certain best practices and things I think were, you know, becoming more universal, but, but that really was um, foundational for me um, because it's really helping me think a lot about knowing what's out there with all customer success organizations, what we're dealing with. It helps me constantly think about being agile, constantly think about iterating. And that even though where you land, like, you know, when I think about Oracle almost seven years ago, when I landed, you know, how we've really changed and grown and iterated our customer success model. And having that kind of agile approach has just been essential to um, helping us, you know, continue to better serve our customers and building out our model. Yeah. One of the, uh, there's so many different places I would love to take this conversation based on everything <laughs> you just said. But one of the, um, it, it's interesting that you talk about the evolution out of support, you know, reacting to what what is sold in the sales cycle. I think early stage companies in general do, they, they tend to all start the same way. So I'll back up and, and give you a little bit of context of what I'm thinking here. Uh, you're familiar with Jeffrey Moore, the crossing. Yes, the yes exactly. Iconic, right. I saw him speak a few weeks back and um, he's really jumped on the customer success bandwagon. Like he's fully bought into it. And for years I've tried to put together 
you know, with my own consultancy and in being in this community, try to put together like a mental model of what that maturity life cycle looks like. And he simplified it in one slide, which blew my mind because it's exactly what I've been trying to do and making too complex for years. But the, the maturity model that he outlined was for customer success was support, adoption, retention, expansion, and then at the pinnacle, roadmap prioritization, which I think you could even generalize more to say resource prioritization, right? So what are we building in the product? How are we constructing the customer journey as a product, as part of the product? And, um, but it struck me that customer success is not really just one team, right? It's, it's not a, and this is maybe one of the dilemmas in, in, in our space, right? Is that we call it customer success and that's a team, but it's also a way that the whole company operates in order to deliver outcomes with customers. So laying that maturity model on you, just curious how how you react to that. Yeah, Uh, I, I think you're right, Jay. That's another important lesson learned where if you get landlocked on a specific role, you kind of miss the point, meaning that it's not just about the, the, the CSM, the customer success manager, but it's about evolving the practice of customer success within your organization. And, you know, to the point you've made, if you look at, and, and this is really more about maybe the, the customer transformation, being customer centric and what that really means and being proactive. And, you know, at Oracle, we, especially the organization, organization I'm a part of, we think a lot about shifting left, you know, being more insight driven, more proactive than reacting, more under, you know, understanding what the customer is trying to accomplish versus having a disconnected customer experience by different handoffs. No one really understands very choppy. And I think all of the things that you're describing is you see customer success showing up in a lot of different departments. And I think that's fantastic, you know, to the extent that we have more of a customer success approach to selling because we're selling to outcomes, not just to quota. Um, that we have a better understanding and have empathy in our development cycle so that we, again, understand what customers are trying to accomplish because we have a closed loop of how we can see success through the eyes of our customers and how this influences our roadmap and that we see you know, product teams, development teams closer to the customer because of that. Um, certainly from a marketing point of view, we can't just randomly and haphazardly ping people with promotions and offers and events, it needs to be integrated into how we serve our customers and really thoughtful persona based. And we see that that's the evolution of certainly, um, you know, from a marketing perspective, um, but other aspects as well. I mean, when we think about just overall business processes and practices, how are we making it easier, less friction for our customers to buy, um, to, to really uh, have, have questions answered and solved. A lot of this sits within technology processes, um, even back office teams coming together and understanding if you know they're going to be handling a customer challenge that they have con- a, a, a sense of who the customer is. Um, again, not just a, a, a random person reaching out and asking about an invoice. Um, I understand who the customer is and I understand it's Jane Nathan and I can see what you've been challenged with lately and maybe it puts a different uh, approach to how I might serve you so that we're all in a service business here. Yeah, I, I love that. And sometimes I say, I've told teams before, my teams, that you're either serving a customer directly or you're serving somebody who's serving the customer. Yeah. So everyone is in customer success, That's whether right. you're an engineer, whether you're a product manager or an executive or a customer success manager. So the, this whole thing for me, Catherine, starts to... So really, I would say you were around at the birth of SaaS, 
not not even just customer success, right? Because SaaS drove the need to have this customer success mindset that never even we didn't really need to have it prior, right? To have a good business. So right. we won't go into all the history of perpetual software and all that kind of stuff. I'm people can go read about that. But everything you just described then sort of takes me to the next place in my head where we have to go because the key to all this is leadership, mm-hmm. right? Because you can you can lead your team. That's great. But what you just described is is making an impact on customers at the organizational level. And to do that, you have to have influence. You have to be able to work with your peers across all those different departments that you just mentioned. Yep. So to me, leadership is the key ingredient of customer success. It's why we do this podcast. It's why we have the Gangway Retain community. It's all about leadership. So let's let's sort of switch gears into that a little bit because you have a fantastic leadership story and you've got these great frameworks that I'd like to talk through. But but just tell me a little bit, how has your role evolved just since you've been at Oracle? I I looked it up on Google. Google says Oracle has 132,000 employees. LinkedIn (laughs) says 226,000. So I don't know which one is right, but I know it's a lot. So how do you lead as Catherine Blackmore, Global VP of Customer Success in that Kind of organization. So let me let me stitch a few things together because I think it's really important to kind of lay the foundation. And as I mentioned earlier, Jay, you know, I took part in a hundred plus year industry before I came to technology. And if you think about that, you know, and how do you actually keep people excited about working for companies like uh, Kellogg's or Nestle? Um, it really was around investing in our people. And, you know, maybe you're, you know, you, you didn't um, work for a startup that had a huge exit. Um, but the point was the folks that we really attracted and really retained were the folks that really want, wanted to become exceptional leaders. And they had, you know, really incredible programs. And so I think it's important to mention because to your point of, yes, you know, 2007, I think that we barely had LinkedIn. iPhone, I think, was launched the year before. Uh yeah, apps weren't a thing. I mean, it was very early. And so you think about now, flash forward, how fast technology has grown. I would argue one of the challenges that we've had in growing so quickly is that we've not invested in the the required training courses. It, you know, I would say generally speaking, of course, Oracle would probably be one or I was attracted to Oracle largely because you know we've we've been in uh, in, our history is longer than a lot of the other technology companies. Um, we've invested in our people. There's a lot of resources that that we have available to us that I think are exceptional, but it's it's not the norm. Um, and mm-hmm. so when you think about the leadership challenge, and it's interesting because as of late, I would say it's becoming increasingly important as we emerge from this pandemic. I'll give um, hopefully the audience here something to read. If you're not following the Boston Consulting Group, I would recommend that you do so. They've been writing a lot about what I call 3H leadership, and I think it's really great work. And I'll mention it. It's head, hand, and heart. Um, And when I think about, while we didn't call it that in CPG, the fundamentals of running a team, you know, running a business, leading a team, you know, it's really around you know, the head, you know, developing the head, the strategy, you know, how am I envisioning the future? How do I think about removing big rocks? Um, You know, it's really kind of creating that, that vision that you would want for your organization, um, really the strategy. And then the heart, the heart is essential because it's really about inspired leadership. It's about getting people to actually want to be a part of your vision. 
um, to uh, think about empowering and developing your people. And I want to talk about that more in a second. And the hands is really operationally driven. It's around how do you execute and how do you take information in? How do you innovate? You know, there's um, a lot that you need to do there, but all three need to be developed. And I think that's something that I would challenge, you know, everyone in the leadership role that really look at that, think about where your strengths are, think about where your opportunities are, because you remove any one of those H's, um, you can imagine um, crazy problems like, you know, strategy, and execution without getting people on board means that you've got people wandering elsewhere. No strategy. Um, obviously, that's a problem. I mean, so you have to obviously think about all these together. And the reason why I mention it now is that when we think about emerging from the pandemic, I think an area that we've certainly seen a lot of need for is probably more of an emphasis on heart. And, and what do I mean by that? Um, it's really um, been critical for us to think about investing in people. Um, we're really working through what we know to be this great resignation um, that if anything, employees um, have a lot of choices out there and they're making decisions based on what is right for them personally, professionally, um, and not just dollars and cents wise and in, in, in career path, but also health and wellness. You know, I think we've learned that, you know, life is honestly too short and, you know, we need to think about where do we want to have our best work of our lives? You know, do we like the team we're working for? Do I feel like my work matters? Do I have a voice? Am I empowered? Um, you know, am I being worked around the clock or can I actually achieve balance? Do, does my company understand what I'm going through personally? And are there resources to help me if I'm struggling where I have a sick parent or I have daycare challenges? I mean, these things are all things that we can't lose just because, you know, we're now kind of turning a corner here. Um, I think that they've always been there, but it just became amplified. So um, that's one aspect of it, Jay. And then it really formed um, what we now have in place within my organization that we call our employee success framework that really centers on this. And it becomes a repeatable process to ensure that we are actually driving employee success. And my little mantra has been and will continue to be, you know, there's just no way we can execute and have customer success if we do not have employee success. Right. Yep. Yeah. It's so, it's so well said. And um, so that, that connection is, is so powerful that the, the um, I want to dig into this employee success framework with you and mm-hmm. let you go deep on that. Cause I, yeah. there's some really good stuff there, but how important in your mind is a frontline manager to a, an individual contributors, you know, connection to the company and, and how, how can frontline managers make that better? Oh, it's one of the most essential roles. Um, you know, even when I think about early days of being a part of Oracle, it's always been our mantra that the most important job is our frontline manager job mm. um, from a leadership perspective, because they have to be the proxy of leadership. Um, you know, especially in a large company like Oracle, you know, you, you, you have to scale. You can't have, you know, obviously as much as you strive for a flat organization at some point in time, it becomes detrimental to the success of your people. If you don't hire managers in between you and, and the team, um, but they have to be your proxy. Um, and that's so hard to do. And no, knowing that you have to invest in your leadership team, as well as your management team, it looks a little different. Um, you know, knowing that, you know, folks grow up within customer success, let's just say in this example, um, and knowing, you know, what makes a great frontline manager, it may not be the reasons why they're a great CSM. Um, and we think, you know, we've been really thinking a lot about, and we've done before, you know, intentional programs to really develop future leaders. 
um, and really finding and thinking about the capabilities that need to be there and then grooming people early so that we can think about succession planning. I mean, those are all things that we're working on. Um, but then even within the frontline manager role, um, you know, there's so much to what I just mentioned about developing the head, hand and heart. I think over time as a leader, you develop that or you aspire to develop that. But as a frontline manager, you know, what do I expose somebody to, to help them really think about strategy so that they can understand the context and what we're trying to build? Um, you know, in some cases, um, uh, can hearts, can inspired leadership be trained? I think it can evolve. I think you can mature if, if that's something that you haven't really exercised before, but that needs to be there. You know, teaching someone to be vulnerable, teaching somebody to make a human connection with their team and actually ask how they're doing. You would say, Jay, maybe that's very natural to you that you would check in with your people and see how they're doing. Other folks, that may not be a natural thing for them to do, or they may feel guarded, not sure how it break the ice, um, but that's so essential right now. And um, then from an operational perspective, you know, are they able to um, execute? And I will say execute through people, not for people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's important. Um, and so those, those things are, um, need to be invested in. I, I expect any organization like Oracle, you have a maturity curve of people that have been frontline managers for a number of years and folks just getting started and knowing that your um, investment and training programs need to respect the maturity level of the folks that you have working in those roles. Yeah, it, it's a really interesting thing to think about because it, there are a lot of early stage software companies out there that sort of scoop up people right out of school, yep. um, you know, it, very early stage in their career. And one of the things for that, I think we have a lot of people who are frontline managers that, that would listen to this podcast. So this will be very valuable, yeah. what you just said uh, for, for them and, and some of the other information you've been sharing. But, you know, one of the things to, to think about is, you know, when you take your first job, what are you, what are you going to get to learn there? It, it's, it might be cool to be a Jack or a Jill or a, a them of all trades, but what if you could go somewhere? It might not be appealing necessarily right out of school to go to a big company like an Oracle, or I was at a company called Blackbaud for not, it's nowhere near as big as Oracle, but, but I learned my management chops there because there were programs in place to teach me those things, all the basics, all the blocking and tackling the fundamentals. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, still learning vulnerability <laughs> to yes. this day and, and in a way that I've never had to really do before to this level. Um, and, it, and you're right. That is a superpower. That is a superpower of a leader, especially at this point in time in the world we live in. So, and then one more point on that. When, it, when I did go through my management training at Blackboard, my, um, our, our CEO came in and gave sort of the opening spiel for that, that training session. And he, he said something that stuck with me ever since. He said, you know what? You were all so good in your roles as individual contributors that we decided to level the playing field. So now you're in a new job. You're a manager. And <laughs> you know, I guarantee you, you don't know how to do this job yet. We're going to start. We're going to teach you how to do it right. And then you're going to have to learn a lot on the job. So I, I always thought that was funny, but it is true. It's a different job than, than what got you there usually. No, it is. And I think and that's also a scary proposition, uh, meaning that if you're kind of left to your own devices to lead, um, there's a lot of traps, um, especially if you've never done that job before. And so um, whether your company provides it, I think the great thing is there's a lot of channels now where you yourself can invest in yourself to where you can build skills. I think that's just an area where 
you would need to do that. No different than if um, you think about, uh, you gave the example of working for a large company right out of school. I'd say another path that we often saw folks, at least I know, uh, yeah, I think it's still to be true, where I, I'd go to work for a big consulting firm, you know, to really learn and understand um, how to lead a project and kind of project management skills. And, and I guess the line I want to draw to that is it is equally important to invest in how you would think about managing and leading. Um, and that's something that, again, I don't think people necessarily mm. think about when you're first getting started, but if you're intentional about your career and you have a sense that this is where you're going to go, the earlier, the better, because to your point, you never know when something gets thrown your way. Um, and your company you're working for may or may not have a formal program to be able to develop your skills, but just know that no matter what you need to develop your skills, and that's what will help you accelerate your career path faster. I know it worked for me given the history I've had, um, because in a lot of companies, I didn't have that training, but I did in my prior life and that helped. Yeah. And that preparation met with opportunity. That's where promotions come from and, and advancement. So that's okay. awesome. Do you, do you want to jump into the employee success framework? Yeah, let's talk about that. So this is something that, again, when we think about what, what's the genesis of this, and I mentioned, you know, the leadership qualities that are critical to, you know, any leader, um, whether it's frontline manager or leader of an organization. And what, in addition to just, you know, developing and leadership skills missing, I also you know, spent a lot of time talking to my frontline managers, my CSMs in the field. Um, we do a lot of, you know, annual surveys, pulse surveys, just to understand how we can better serve our people. So again, that they're successful serving our customers. And through these conversations, we were talking a lot about, um, you know, the risk that, that they personally saw, you know, whether it was, um, you know, I just can't seem to find the resources I need or I need stronger tools. I mean, these are all things that were coming up in our surveys. And I thought it was really curious. One of the individuals on my team said, you know, what really bothers me, Catherine, is that when I see all the effort being spent around our red account reviews that we do, and I think about why don't we do that for our people? Because we're losing people. And I just, why aren't we doing that? Because I know you're really thinking about, you know, reasons why people would stay or go, but why don't we do that? And so that was a really interesting question, because if you think about what we do, Jay, from a customer success perspective, started to make that connection. It was an aha moment to say, you know, we should be really great at employee success because we know now the frameworks we have put in place for customer success. And so what if we were to take the same approach to being proactive, thinking about our employees in a life cycle like we would with our customers? What do they need at different stages of their journey, stages of their maturity? What are the programs we would develop to make sure we were excellent at every stage? What would be the things that we would look at in terms of early warning signs so that we drive employee engagement, drive employee success. What are those markers? What are moments that matter? And then when we look at churn analysis, we look at why did people leave? And just like customers, it's not all about throwing money at the problem when it's too late. It's really okay. about, you know, getting earlier in the life cycle. And so that was the Genesis J of our employee success framework. And I'm, I'm happy to go into a little bit more detail, but that's how we got started. It, it's, um, it's incredible, the, the parallels there. And I was just thinking if, if our boards looked at our employee retention rates the same way they looked at our customer retention rates, we might all be in big trouble right now. 
right? <laughs> because they've just gone down and down over the years. But um, yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, why don't, you want to jump deeper into it? Yeah, and- let's talk about it. Because the other thing that I realized and learned being a part of consumer packaged goods is that another thing that and this is um, also maybe a little bit of behavioral science, which um, for those that you know, follow me or, or I'm connected with on LinkedIn would know that that was one of my, um, my minor in college, um, which, uh, is fun to be able to use. Um, but from a behavioral psychology and human needs perspective, you know, one of the things that we actually need is essential is certainty is certainty. Um, and, and the framework really attempts to provide that certainty. Cause when I, again, was I with CPG, one of the keys to our retention was that we know, we knew what to expect, um, we knew what to expect. And, and that's really important. It doesn't matter if I'm a small startup. It doesn't matter. Um, no, I'm, I'm happy to jump in a little further because I think what's really important here is the certainty that this model can create. And I think that's really important um, because from a behavioral science perspective, we know that humans need to have certainty. It's just something that helps us manage our life. And especially when you think about this pandemic it's probably been the hardest thing is the uncertainty. So more than anything, having a repeatable model, even if you're a small startup, I would say still get started with having some repeatability to your year to your cycle. This is what it's all about. I um, mean, even when we got started, you know, there's a lot more that we do now than we did at the very beginning, but let me, um, let me describe what I mean. Um, the first element of our employee success uh, framework is really knowing your talent, you know, knowing the folks in your organization. And you've got folks that are brand new to the company, um, certainly that are just getting started in their role. And that experience is very different. It could be look different for that person in their first year working for the company versus someone that's been there, you know, two, five years, you know, folks that are kind of in kind of getting into the groove or in the groove and doing their job. And, you know, how are we building their skills? How are they thinking about career pathing, whether it's, you know, future leader management roles or even, you know, taking on more responsibility as an individual contributor? You know, those are all things to think about different experience for those folks. And then what about the folks that, you know, you've groomed and they're ready to move? They're ready to take on that next step. And so, I, you know, just generally speaking, those are the kind of broader brushstrokes that we're thinking about in terms of maturity kind of life cycle phase of an employee. And then what does that look like on an annual basis? I mean, there are some things that will be constant. How do you map out how you kick off the year? You know, do you have, you know, large kickoff meetings and do you have distinct um, areas that you really focus in on the role of customer success and how do you get started on an annual basis? How do you break down what you want people to focus on so that you really think about the goals for the year, you know, working for companies like Salesforce and now Oracle, we think a lot about, you know, how do we connect the role into the broader vision and mission? And then how do we break down goals at the leader level, manager level, at the IC level? Cause that's so important, Jay, it's so important to have that direction. And in some of the parts of that framework around goal setting might be constant, like the, the vital things we need to do are probably not going to change in a five-year basis, but the goal setting process would be, you know, every year just rolling out the goals of what we're trying to do. Um, and then for us also, you know, what does that mean to the individual, you know, setting personal goals. So even just getting started with that and then having a cadence throughout the year that you do check-ins, you know, not just on how customers, what customers are on fire and the customers a week, you know, but through one-on-ones having an intentional time where I'm actually talking about, you know, your personal goals and how you are taking next steps. 
to get ready for whatever happens next. And again, it looks different if I'm brand new, it looks different if I'm in the groove and it looks different if I'm getting ready to move. Um, and then, you know, layered in, there's a lot of different people programs that now a few years into really managing this framework, we do, um, what we call our talent review boards, where all of the frontline managers and leaders come together and really review everything I've said about our people. Like, like they're brand new. How are they doing? Or they're in the groove. How are we developing them? What kind of career paths? What are they saying that they're wanting to do next? And then if they are ready to move, um, how ready is it in the next six months? Is it now? What kind of roles? So that especially Oracle, we become our own LinkedIn um, recruiting site, if you will. Um, and it's yeah. these, um, these, you know, these talent review boards that become essential. I'll give you a great, great story. Um, you know, part of my role at Oracle is to, um, really own and frame and guide our global framework for customer success. And so I work in parallel with our global leaders, um, that are responsible for JPAC, EMEA, LAD, and we have a, you know, separate cadence in terms of how that team works together. Um, but one individual on our JPAC team, um, her husband actually moved to the United States and, you know, she was potentially looking at other careers, other companies, um, and leaving Oracle, you know, years and years at Oracle. And so we actually had the leader in JPAC participate in our talent review board and really talk about the individual on his team. And we were able to make connections and, and, and found opportunities where we could bring her over. Um, and that led to retention of a really critical employee, um, and, you know, another opportunity for growth for her. So in a large company like like us, we wouldn't have been able to do that if we didn't have a proactive way to really talk about our talent and make sure that we're continuing to manage the career paths, not even in region, but you know, around the globe. So, so much to unpack there. I know we're getting low on time, so we don't want to get into it, but the talent review concept, one that I learned again in my Blackboard days, such a powerful thing. We call it calibration too, because uh, yep. it's how, how it's so helpful to hear the perspective of your peers and your colleagues talk about your people yeah. too, and where they That's need right. to improve and where they're excelling that you might not even be seeing. But what a wonderful example you just shared of internal mobility facilitated proactively uh, on behalf of the team. The other thing that struck me in what you were saying is, you know, as CSMs sometimes, or as, as customer success teams, sometimes we rely on our CSMs to do a lot with every individual customer. Yep. I write about this a lot. And, but just like with your employees, you have a, a company kickoff at the beginning of the year. You have company events throughout the year. You have different resources available, one to many scale for people to go consume and the programs that you mentioned. That's right. So it struck me too, like you, you got to think about your employees the same as a manager. It's not all up to you, right? You have a whole team of people uh, and a whole slew of programs to help drive the, the employee experience. One question I do have for you on that is, and I think this is a very interesting point. A lot of people would show up at a company like Oracle and say, oh, good. I've got a huge people team. I'm sure you have a huge people team at Oracle. My, that's that's great. I'm, I can go focus on my customer success team, focus on my customers. And I know that the people team's got it, but you are very involved. So I think it's a good lesson to people don't let the people team drive everything for your people, right? You have to still innovate on their behalf. So I'm curious, how do you work yeah. with your people team to help drive this innovation forward for your, your teams? Yeah, to me, it's no different than working with operations or finance. I mean, it's a part of your success organization, your extended success organization. And, 
you know, they need to be so integrated into your strategy and what you're trying to accomplish um, so that they can help you harness some of the resources um, that you may not be aware of. I mean, I'm constantly learning, Jay, that there are new training programs, new um, investments that Oracle is making that we can actually attach to our framework and having all of our people, um, leaders, resources know that then they become um, an evangelist. They become helpful around how to actually build upon what we've already gotten started. I know we won't have enough time, Jay, but you know we are making such a, a, a huge investment and it's really a critical initiative for us to uh, think about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and this is also part of our framework and knowing that there's so many things that we're trying to accomplish at Oracle, but what can we be doing at our level? It's not just at a corporate level, but they're really where you make change happen with people is actually at the frontline level and within teams and departments. And so knowing that, you know, we need to take forward some of our company strategy and employ it into my framework means that there's a job that we need to have, you know, at a leadership level, at a frontline manager level. Um, because one of the things that we're really doubling down is just, just within recruitment. If you think about just recruiting in and of itself, knowing from again, a diversity, equity, and inclusion standpoint, companies that will succeed in the future will actually be excellent at this. You just have to. I mean, for us to be able to attract, retain talent, you know, our, our, our customers are asking for this. You have to show up looking like your customer. You need to have your entire organization be representative of, of really your entire market. And, and we have to, there's just so many things we need to get better at, but it all starts with recruiting. And we think about how do you actually create a diverse candidate pool? You have to have recruitment on board. You have to have people, leaders, resources on board because they're your uh, extension of the programs that you're building. What are the training programs available so that we actually know um, how to actually uh remove unconscious bias through the recruiting effort. Um, how are we thinking about even the way that we show up through panel interviews, uh, through interview questions? I mean, these are all things that will help us really create a, a really different environment so that people feel like they can see themselves in your organization, um, which will create a more diverse workforce. Um, but, you know, there, it just has to extend throughout the entire process in order for us to really evolve. And again, it starts with having a framework, but then layering in resources that you have within your company to help build on where you got started. Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, we, we could probably do a whole nother hour, which I won't, <laughs> yes, we I, won't could. You, I won't put you through that right now, but we've talked about your sort of your, your path through the customer success ecosystem and community in, in, you know, the past couple of decades. Uh, we've talked about the three H framework, which is awesome. I, ever since you first told me about that, I've been, I've had that on my mind constantly. I love that head, heart and hand. Um, we've talked about the, the employee success framework and, you know, we'll share whatever this you can, you can, you can share, we'll, we'll share it with the audience, but I really appreciate you taking the time to do this great conversation. And I know the people who listen to this podcast are going to learn a, a, a ton from it. So oh, Jay, I'm very happy to, like I said earlier, it's really for me about paying it forward and certainly think that way within my own organization. But, you know, we think about customer success and how we need to continue to evolve. Um, very happy to participate and keep sharing out what we're doing. Awesome. If people want to find you, where can they go? Yeah. You find me on LinkedIn. Um, that's the best way. We certainly, um, I can answer to talk a lot about obviously what we're doing can customer success. You'll see a lot of the things that we do to celebrate the success of our teams, which is super fun, all part of our employee success framework and then all the other, um, aspects of, of what we are trying to build. So I uh, look forward to connecting there. Awesome. Sounds great. All right. We'll let Thanks. you go. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you. All right. Talk to you soon. Thanks. 
Hey everybody, Jay here. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. You know, this started as a labor of love for Jeff and I a couple of years ago, and it's really turned into a movement around customer success and community, and we couldn't be more thrilled to be a part of it. Um, we grow this by word of mouth, so we'd, we'd love it if you're willing and you find value in what you hear on this podcast. Leave us a rating or a review on, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It'll help us grow and, and provide value to more customer success professionals. Also, if you haven't yet, please sign up for Gain, Grow, Retain, the online community. It's gaingrowretain.com. You can meet other people, make one-on-one connections, share ideas, get ideas, grow your career ultimately. Um, be on the lookout also for live events, both in person and virtual this year. We're excited to get back to that. And thanks for being part of the community. We look forward to talking to you soon.